Hello lacrosse friends and welcome to Box and Beat. I'm Stephen Stamp, your host. Very special episode this week. Two years ago, the lacrosse world was captivated by the journey of the Kenyan national team to the U19 Women's World Championship in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. It was a great story and now that much of that story has been captured in a terrific documentary movie called Sleeping Warrior. It is out. You can watch it on World Lacrosse uh, on their YouTube channel and on their Facebook page. And today I am honored to be joined by the coach and the woman who made so much of what is going on in Kenyan lacrosse happen. Storm Trentum, as well as Ashley Aitken, her good friend, also a good friend of mine, who lives here in Peterborough and is the was the liaison for the team for Kenya at those U19 Worlds, and has become very involved in the ongoing journey of Kenya lacrosse. So Storm Trentum and Ashley Aitken, before we jump into it, just want to give you a link. Go to kenyalacrosse.org if you want to find out more, if you'd like to donate. People are moved. People do want to help this team out when they hear what the girls who are part of the team went through to get to the World Championship, the ongoing process of developing lacrosse in this African country. Storm Trentum, Trentum has done a ton of work and it is great to have her, as well as Ashley Aitken, on Boxlebeat this week. Enjoy the show. I am very pleased to welcome to Box Levine, Storm Trentum and Ashley Aitken. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, just for anyone who's not familiar with the story, uh, Sleeping Warrior is out to the world. It is a documentary film about the journey of the Kenyan national team going to the U19 Women's World Championship in Peterborough in 2019. Storm is the head coach of the team and basically got lacrosse going in Kenya. Ashley Aitken was the liaison for the team in Peterborough. Um, she's also a friend of mine. We're from the same hometown in Peterborough. So uh, I want to have Ashley on because she I feel like she brings a lot to the story. But Storm, we're going to really focus on you because it's quite a story, this journey that this team took. And uh, I just want to start with some of your background because you're from Wales, right? Played national team for Wales, coached in high school and college. You're based in, in England now. But what led you to be part of Kenya? It seems like a bit of a, a intuitive leap. Yeah, no, it is. So I've been playing lacrosse since I was about 11, since um, I was at school. And when I went to university, I started playing lacrosse for Wales. In between that, I was out in Australia for a few years. So I played for New South Wales and coached their state team. But it was actually when I really started um, playing international was when I was at university in Wales. So I did that for 15 years. And in the meantime, during that, I was coaching our under-19 team. I was assistant skills coach for our seniors at the back end of my career. But I did two World Cups with our under-19 girls. And... Back in 2000, and I think it was 2009, I thought I would take lacrosse to Kenya because I was already going out there with a charity I was working with as a volunteer. So I just thought, 
let's take lacrosse out there because all the boys have football and rugby, but the girls have nothing. So why don't I just take them sticks every time I would travel out there? And that's what I did. But originally it was only as a recreational sport. It was never intended to be a national team, but I guess that changed in 2015. And what was it that changed? Because like you said, you've been doing it for a handful of years on the recreational level. You're seeing obviously some great things happen for the girls that were involved, Mm. but what made you think, Hey, Africa's never had a team go to a world lacrosse championship. Why don't we do it? Yeah, that's quite a good question. I wish I probably <laughs> asked myself that back in 2015. But I think it was actually, I was um, going into the closing ceremony at the 2015 World Cup in Edinburgh, and that was 15 years of international sport. And I remember going in thinking this would be my last ever World Cup, but not because I didn't still love the sport, but equally I'd just been you know, like a slave to the lacrosse pitch for 15 years. Cause I was also a high school coach. I was the under 19 Wales coach. I was playing seniors and I didn't have one free weekend. I missed every wedding, every family holiday, everything I could possibly want to go to in those prime years of your life. And I was like, like, okay, let me just have a break for a bit. So I went in thinking that, and I came out having won the Heart of Lacrosse Award for my contribution to lacrosse in Africa. So I couldn't really then stop. So I sort of rightly or wrongly put on Facebook, um, you know, who thinks it would be a great idea? This was still that night after the closing ceremony. I hadn't even got home back home to my uh, home county then. I put on Facebook, who thinks it would be a good idea to get the first African team to the next World Champs um, in four years' time? Went to sleep, diddle woke up to literally about 800 notifications, likes, shares, comments, everything. And so I couldn't really retract it. So I was like, okay, let's go for it. I mean, I, I couldn't not because I'd put it out there and now I was sort of accountable for myself. So that was really the idea. I, I knew that I'd done, you know, my first share with Wales and I just wanted a different challenge, I guess, something slightly different. And, you know, international sport's quite hard anyway when you're dealing with, you know, the Western world. I mean, Wales lacrosse was pretty simple compared to to most, but, you know, you still have your issues with, you know, school teachers and parents and trying to get permission to get the kids to train enough and, you know, finances and fundraising. But Africa is, yeah, a whole different ballgame. And that is what is highlighted a little bit in the documentary. But you don't actually see quite a lot of what went on behind the scenes. I know Ash knows quite a lot because since the World Cup, we've become like thick as thieves. So, and she's been out there with me a couple of times. So, it is a totally different ball game trying to deal with an African team versus a westernized team. And I want to get more into some of that a little bit down the road. I wanted to touch base with Ashley and just see how your involvement with the team came about. It feels like there was some serendipity with you entering this world. Yeah, I mean, when the world champs was coming to Peterborough, I obviously, I run a charity here. So I had reached out to a couple of people who I knew were on the committee, just saying, if I can help in any way, like, let me know. Not really thinking that I would be like, you know, um, spending every day of my life for three weeks with these people. But anyway, so I was just kind of volunteering, um, doing some behind the scenes things. And then, um, you know, we weren't sure if Kenya was coming. And so once they finally got the go ahead, they were like, well, I guess we need the liaison. So I'm like, okay, sign me up. Like we were already kind of collecting some donations for them at that time. Um, and then they came and I just never left. I just kind of, you know, fell in love with them and followed storm around and drove them here, there and everywhere. And now here we are. And what was it Ashley about 
this group of girls, um, and I am using the term girls advisedly. I know they're all pretty much women now, but it was a U19 team. These were very much girls that came over. And there was something obviously very compelling that made you decide not just to spend those every day of three weeks with them, but you've been to Kenya at least twice, I believe. You're talking to Storm daily. I mean, what was it that, that drew you in? I mean, if anyone meets any of these girls, you, you, you would understand quite easily why, um, you know, you'd want to spend time with them. They're just such a lovely bunch of people and they're, they're just so determined and we're so excited to be here. And I mean, not, I didn't go into this knowing like any of their, their backstories, right? I just thought, wow, what an amazing group of athletes. Like this is, this is such a cool thing to, to be a part of, but as you know them and you hear a little bit about their stories and you know the struggles it took for them to get here um it's it's just quite amazing like they're just such resilient determined people and um like I said when you're spending like every day with these people for three weeks it's it's hard not to you know fall in love and want to continue to support them after this and so I've tried my best to do that since then there's a certain level of joy and effervescence that exudes from this team and one of the things I remember being at uh they were they got to do a bunch of cool things while they were in the area and one of them was they went to a major series lacrosse game in Coburg uh the Kodiaks were hosting the Peterborough Lakers and I'd heard about the Kenyans dancing and singing and, and I asked someone who was organized organizing I said do you think they'll sing uh when they get out or dance when they get out on the floor to be introduced and she said just try to stop them. <laughs> and it was kind of the, that was the thing Like it just bubbles over and storm. I'm sure that is a big part of what you, what drew you back in. Cause it's the old thing. Like you think you're getting out and they just draw you back in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people used to come and watch us even warm up or, or walk from the warm up pitch to the stadium when we were playing because they would dance the whole way, you know, to the point where, People would have their phones, they'd be filming them, they would almost be asking for autographs before a game. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to be late. We've done all of this over the last however many years, we're going to be late for these games because they're too busy dancing around. And, you know, it's, it's just part of their culture. And I think everyone was so drawn in by their dancing and their singing, but that is literally them. From the moment they wake up at six, well, actually they wake up way earlier, but between four and six in the morning, they're dancing, they're singing, they've got, they do all their prayers at six, which is just basically like a concert. And it doesn't <laughs> stop until they go to bed. That's I mean, at training, training camp, we're trying to get them to bed at like a decent time. And they're just in yeah. there dancing <laughs> along. We're like, girls, like, this is great. But like, you've got to go to bed. And they're just, it was like midnight one night. And they're still just like dancing around, having the best time. And Storm and I are like exhausted, like wanting to go yeah. to sleep hours ago. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean that you know that was just one of the small things, but there's so there's so many other things that sort of draws you in. But um, yeah, I think that that's not that common. You know, not many Western teams have that sort of vibe. I know Jamaica, they're they're quite similar to us. They don't really stop, but um, and we did have a good dance off with them at the opening ceremony. But um, yeah, that's just part of what everyone falls in love with them about. It's, it's so cool to see things like that. That reminds me of being in Israel at the 2018 World Men's Lacrosse Championship. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jamaica was there and they were playing, I believe they were playing Uganda. And they the two teams got together after the game and sang One Love. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was actually with uh, Uganda men at the 2018 World Cup. It was, it was a very simple vibe, I think, because that was their second World Cup. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people already knew 
about them and their culture, but it was definitely Denver. Was this us in Canada was like when Uganda were in Denver um, in 2014, I presume. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole hype around it. Now, the the thing about it, I mean, just the that joy and that that vibe, the energy is wonderful. But the thing that really makes it remarkable, and and you alluded to the fact that the movie didn't really dive into the circumstances a lot. But can you talk a bit about what the circumstances are for most of these girls or women back in Kenya or what they were at the time? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, a film can only be a documentary can only be a certain amount of time. We've got to focus on one or two kids, but um, not all of them, but pretty much three quarters of the kids are from really poor backgrounds. And when I say that, it's sort of like a two bedroom, if you're lucky, or a two room sort of mud shack with five to 12 family members to get to school is a real struggle because there's no free schools in Kenya. And, you know, just employment is so low. And even if parents do have a job, they're on about $80. Where where our kids are based, Western, Western, not in Nairobi, but Western, you know, the salaries are so low. So if you're on $80 a month and you've got six kids to send to school and you've got all the school uniform, you've got everything, it's, it's a, not rocket science to know that most of them aren't at school. Therefore, you know, that's a massive struggle for us because um, it's a school-based program. Um, just... Basic things like three meals a day is absolutely unheard of for many of them. Basic things like toothbrush, owning a towel, having a bed. Um, I mean, it's, it's really endless. So, you know, their backgrounds aren't the norm compared to the rest of the teams, you know, playing at the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And being part of the team made a big difference in that, right? You were able to find some some resources to make a difference for them. Yeah, we didn't sort of that wasn't necessarily part of our plan at the beginning because we didn't re- realise the more you get to know these kids, the more you're invested in their everyday life and their their personal backgrounds. So when you've got a kid to, to, um, turning up to training that's, you know, you can tell is not looking 100%, you know that they've got malaria and they haven't just got it that day. They've had it for days and weeks, but because they can't afford healthcare because there's no free healthcare, then they've just been sat at home or out of school drinking hot water to try and get rid of malaria. I remember at camp one time we took four... To hospital in one camp and I thought why what all getting malaria at our camp like we need to change venue but it wasn't that at all it was they've had it for ages they just can't afford medication um so yeah I mean it, it is it is pretty rough for them I mean it is very rough for them um and there's as I say there is a lot more to it but some you know in terms of just their everyday life when they are at school some of them their school days start at 4 a.m like they're in class at 4 a.m so they're getting up at 3 a.m. to go and get water for cold bucket showers. Um, and then they have breakfast at 6.30. So they've already done two and a half hours schoolwork before breakfast, which is a cup of tea for most schools. And every other day they might have porridge. So it's tea and then lunch is at like five, six hours later. It's not like they have snacks. They don't have tuck shops. They, you know, there's just the the whole school system is absolutely... Um, barbaric if I can say that and you know they don't finish till 10 at night so it's not conducive to international athletes let's say the English or the Welsh team or the American or the US if they were in their national team their school day they would you know their um let's say the headmistress or their P department would help to fit in this athlete's training you know if they're going for a world cup in their day, they would incorporate it. You know, the lacrosse coach would help them. They would go to the gym. They would have SNC programs by their international coach, but that their, I guess, their school coach would help them with. These kids don't have gyms. They don't. I mean, they don't even wear shoes at school. Like they don't wear trainers at school. Most of them. So 
the fact that we even got a team to Canada and then, you know, our results, again, weren't necessarily shown in the documentary, but um, our results were pretty, I would say, good, considering it was our first World Cup and the nature of the preparation. Mm-hmm. There's so many things that uh, that are really interesting and I want to talk about. I do want to get into the games and the results and um, mm. I want to I want to talk about uh, we already talked about the difference that the the team made but when they got here um, actually first while we're talking about in Kenya Ashley you've been to Kenya you went up going a couple of times what was the experience like for you getting to see these girls back at home it's obviously a very different environment of course I mean I've I've heard you know through Storm and in talking to the girls kind of what the conditions that they live in were like, but I, you know, until you see it firsthand, um, it just makes you appreciate, you know, how amazing these girls are even more like in like Storm was saying, we, the first trip we went on, I went on with Storm, we kind of did like a whole world tour through Kenya and stopped at every single school to visit the girls because we hadn't seen them since Canada. And, um, some of them, like she was saying, like they get up at 4am to go to class and they, they, you know, have schoolwork until 10 p.m., but then they were waking up in the middle of the night just to study for exams on top of that. Like, they're working on two hours of sleep and then still trying to fit sport in there. It was just, it was crazy to see. And, like, one of the girls had had a a foot injury since Canada, and we went to her school, and she's, like, hobbling around, and they wouldn't, you know, pay the $20 to get her crutches. And so, like, it's just, um, it's a completely different world. And, And like Storm said, to see them, you know, surviving basically off of such little food like a cup of tea for lunch and ugali for dinner and and that's about it but to have 12 hour school days on top of that like I know mentally I couldn't do that on on such little nutrition so it was pretty pretty crazy to see but you know they're always just so happy and and smiling and very rarely complain about things which I think makes it, it just goes to show how resilient they really are because no one in our our western world would be like that that's for sure they could last a day they could not last a day in their shoes and i think you know everyone fell in love with them so lots of people were following our story coming out to yes. the world cup but there's so much social media can say like as i said if you can see actually their day-to-day life firsthand people would have fallen in love with them even more i mean yeah it's it is pretty it is pretty alarming some of the stuff they go through like for example our uh, under 21 boys captain he's in a family of five and they have um, ten dollars a month for food as their allowance wow so yeah. again it's not he, all during covid they were on um two cups of black tea a day his family unless his neighbor has spare rice which is actually why i whizzed back last april uh, last august to go and do another road trip like ashley and i did just to go and see every single kid we couldn't play lacrosse back then because there was a total lockdown but just to check literally that they had rent they had food, they had money to get back to school when school started in November, December, you know, nothing to do with lacrosse. No offense, I couldn't care less about lacrosse on that trip. It was literally just to check that these kids were okay. And, you know, when people in Canada and America and England doing homeschooling, we're all, you know, on Zoom calls and interacting with our teachers and our classmates. How can you do that if you don't have a laptop, you don't have a phone, you don't have electricity, you don't have bundles for your phone? So we were sending out but in the end, most of our kids had phones because we had got them telephones. So last year, I would set up WhatsApp groups for all the different subjects. So any of our boys and girls that needed help with, let's say, English, chemistry, math, obviously, I'm useless to all of them. So I have a lot of very smart friends. So um, I did a thing on Facebook and got all my friends who are either lecturers or, 
you know, Oxbridge graduates, whatever, and they would, depending on their subject, they would join the WhatsApp group. So every time our kids needed help with a question or wanted to know something about a topic, they would message the, I guess, the, stu- the teachers on this um, group. But again, it's not as easy as that. You have to send them money for their phone credit so they can at least do that. I mean, it's it's so mad what they have to put up with. But again, you would never, ever hear them complain. Like, you would never hear... Yeah, and they just want to be educated so badly. Like, if you ask any you know, Canadian kid what they'd want right now, it would definitely not be, education would not even be on the list of of needs or wants that they have. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, Storm and I were just talking recently, like one of the girls was head of her class for so long and then COVID happened and, you know, she had to go home and, and lives in squalor basically and wasn't able to do like the online learning and then had to go back and write her exams and didn't fare well and now is like one mark out from being able to go to university and she messaged me this morning with this link um and asked if it was a scam and it was like this full ride scholarship to Canada yeah yeah I spoke to her about that this morning Mm -hmm. uh, I said sorry please don't do that it's just so sad they just want so much more than what they are able to obtain themselves right and so thank goodness like Storm is there to do this this stuff to help them or else they I don't know what would have happened especially the last year we did get so much support, I guess, over the years. As I said, it's not all our kids, but I guess there's only five that I haven't had to help with you know, with school. I've had to help some of them since with university mm-hmm. bits and bobs. But all the other 16, um, because of our non-traveling reserves as well, that are still part of the part of the mix because everyone just stays, I guess. Um, whether it was friends, family, volunteer coaches who came out that fell in love with a kid that was like, right, if anyone needs help with school fees, let me know. I mean a lot of them would never ever ever have finished if we hadn't supported like I know my mum has probably covered about eight of them and actually one of my favorite stories which isn't very well known from the world cup is that one of the Canadian team um one of the girls out there we didn't even play Canada but obviously we saw them loads um she and her family really loved what Kenya brought to the world cup so the father called me the week after I got back and said, how can I help with the program? Um, and I was like, do you know what? At this stage, I just got back and all the kids were trying to get back to school. None of them had any money and it was all a disaster. So I was just sat there going, oh God, what are we doing now? Anyway, this dad said, how can I help? And I was like, do you know what? If you want to help, it's nothing to do with lacrosse. We have to get the last, I think it was seven or eight we had left in school. We have to get them to finish school. Some had one term left. Some had a year and a term. Some had two two years and a term left. And he said, okay, work out how much it would cost to get all the remaining kids through school from today until whenever they graduate. And I told him, not thinking that much of it. And he sent a check there and then. He literally paid wow. for every single um, player to finish. Yeah, that was which, amazing. Yeah. And actually, since that girl's Canadian university has sent us about 12 boxes of kit as well. I mean, and kit, sticks, equipment. So they really did have such an effect on people. And even to this day, I mean, I know... Uh, Ash won't want me to say this, but she is still hugely supportive of some of the individual kids as and when they need, or will just send me cash saying, help anyone that needs it when you're out there sort of thing. But, you know, some of the supporters who helped our athletes, we did a sponsor an athlete um, sort of fundraiser for the World Cup, like sponsor their kit. And some of those, each girl had about six, seven, eight sponsors. And um, some of those sponsors are still to this day helping. So when they know a kid's going to uni, if they don't have a laptop, they can't get into uni. But $200 for a laptop is sort of seven, uh, no, what about four months salary for some of them. So how can they do that? So 
you know, we've had really generous sponsors still to this day, how many years later of sending us money. And Puerto Rico, they're still helping. One of those parents sends us like $100 every month and has since August 2019. It's amazing stuff. And, and getting that kind of support and how important it is to them kind of puts into perspective why they were so joyful at some of the situations. There was first the, the shoe situation. Uh, a lot was made of at the tournament shoes were ordered they come in they're the wrong sizes so you can just imagine the roller coaster ride of the excitement of these shoes these these um cleats coming and then the drop when you realize they don't fit anybody and then the rise again when somehow it's made possible to get everyone's shoes yeah i think if you rewind a bit it's not just a case of the shoe company sent the wrong shoe sizes which we have by the way double clarified a million times because it's not like it's hard to get shoes sizes right or wrong. Anyway, yeah. the issue is we can't get them, we couldn't get them sent to Kenya beforehand because one they wouldn't have got through customs and we'd have been charged triple just to get them out. Right. Uh, two, they couldn't wear them in Kenya training because the ground's too hard. So all of these things, not many other nations have the issue of customs holding, you know, kit and stock for bribes. Basically, for bribes is what it is. It is. So yeah, we got them sent straight to Canada and then it was too then it was too late. It worked out quite well, so it's quite a good story. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the story, I mean, they, they, the fil- it is in the film where they go to um, the, the shoe store in Lansdowne Place, right, down in Peterborough. And, uh, oh, no, that was some national different. sport. National it was sport. where? And we got the cleats after from Israel. Oh, right, yeah, right. That, that was something different, basically, because we, we obviously had trainers to go in. We had mm-hmm. our team trainers, and then we had um, our cleats we thought but um, when we realised that our cleats were the wrong size and we didn't know that Israel were going to bail us out someone, um, we were at Stony Lake and one of those, what someone very kindly said that they would actually buy proper trainers for our athletes that they could play in because it was on 4G and they always play in trainers so I didn't want to just chuck them into cleats you know, so we kept them in trainers so that was actually a whole different shoe situation so we actually came away with a million pairs of new shoes um, <laughs> So, uh, Ash, what was the name of the shoe store again that kindly did that? National, National Sports. Yeah. So then we were, like, all good to go. Play the tournament in these proper, like, um, Nike trainers that were suitable for playing in. Fine. We get to the third last game. Hadn't rained for months in Peterborough. And it, it <laughs> torrential rain. So I wake up thinking, oh, my God, let's just add this situation to the table. We have no cleats. These girls are going to be, like, Bambi on ice. And that was that. So we played Israel. We actually had quite a horrible game anyway. I think we lost by five or something. I mean, it wasn't too bad, but they definitely weren't playing their best. But Israel, one of the, some of the kids saw that we were in trainers and realized we didn't have um, cleats because obviously their sizes were wrong. So one of, they went for a team dinner that night and one of the dads sorted it out so that he um, wanted to, you know, they all chipped in and they bought us each a pair of trainers. Um, sorry, cleats. So then the next day, we were playing, um, we were watching Israel-Belgium and we were going to play Belgium at the weekend. So I was, I had spoken to this father who's like, okay, Storm, you give me all their shoe sizes. Can you bring them to the Belgium-Israel game and come watch us tomorrow? I was like, yeah, of course, we're going to do that anyway. And at the end of the game, they um, presented us with our cleats, which, I mean, again, these, these are all Under Armour cleats, which are, you know, hugely expensive. And if, if you imagine you spending your whole salary on a pair of shoes, you can imagine the excitement these kids had. Like, is it, it, it the equivalent of their parents spending their whole month's salary on a pair of shoes? 
And so Israel gave us this cleats and, you know, the rest is history because that story went worldwide. I think House of Highlights put it on their Instagram and 2.8 million people have, have actually wow. watched it. And ESPN, another 800,000. I mean, it, it was it was a really cool story. But if you get the very beginning of the story, the fact is we couldn't get our cleats in advance because we'd be bribed triple the amount. That just sums up the all the disasters. I mean, we haven't really touched on getting them to the World Cup with their visas, with their passports, fake birth certificates issued by the government. Then the birth certificate paper in the whole country runs out for three weeks because they issue so many fake birth certificates. Um, parents, we have to send money to apply for certain things online, but they don't have internet access. We have to pay for their bus to go to a cyber cafe to do this, this, this. And then they spend all the money we give them on fruit, uh, food because they don't have any money for food. And that's more important than their kid's passport. I mean, it was literally the most, the, it was, yeah, a pretty soul destroying situation, but luckily our manager, who was just a bit of an, guardian angel a bit like ash she moved over from the uk to live with me in kenya for the last four months to sort this all out so she left her job her name's sky so it's storm and sky <laughs> but she's, we're generally both chris and that by the way um so sky came and moved out with me took unpaid leave from work in the uk she's actually a she's american irish so she plays lacrosse for ireland but she's based in the states and in the uk so she came to um deal with all the passport and visa issues, sleep on the floor. We basically slept on the floor, hole in the ground loo and cold shower for four, well, she was four months, I was seven, but that's the sort of um, support that we got from people. I mean, for someone to do that is such a sort of generous, you know, it's a thankless task being a manager, especially if you're dealing with situations in Africa. And there were a lot of tears from both of us along the way, but I mean, she's literally the only reason we made it to Canada. Absolutely. Her and our one main sponsor that we luckily fell across at LaxCon in January 2019, those are the only two reasons why we made it to Canada. And I think it's crazy too, because a lot of people were concerned that they, the girls didn't have cleats, but like, little do they know, back in Kenya, like they don't even wear shoes. Like yeah. Storm and I showed up to the first, uh, the boys training camp back in November of 2012, mm. 2019, I mean. And um, like the majority of them did had not have shoes or were wearing flip-flops. And like yeah. there was the first day we were there, we were like, wow, some of these kids are amazing. Imagine if they had shoes. And we were taking off our own shoes to give to them just to see like what they would run like with a proper pair <laughs> of shoes. So like, like we counted, Ash, I think it was 52 out of 81 didn't have shoes, but that's normal. And I know just because it's normal doesn't mean it's right, but right. that's that's just how what we're dealing with and just um continuing from what ash said every because i'm quite used to doing world cups now i would always give a gift to the players the morning every morning we're at the world cups so it would be called the um fairy lacrosse mother right so we'd always <laughs> leave secret secret presents outside outside the girls room and then um there's a the ex under 19 us coach um Kristin Porcella, I do a lot of stuff with her in the States and I, she's a really good friend since I met her at the uh, 2011 World Cup in Germany. And so I go over there the whole time and she's got a really great lacrosse company called Top of the Bay and they get loads of kit and donations. And one of the um, sponsors is um, a sanitary product company, Playtex. And so they have hundreds of boxes of sanitary products, which none of the US girls want because what, it's so embarrassing for them and, you know, they can buy their own. So who cares? So Port's I was like, Porch, sanitary products for our girls is like giving them an iPad. Like it is literally luxury for these girls not to have to worry for a week every month 
And so I would take loads out to Kenya. And at the World Cup, if I had put, a, uh, let's say, a um, big box of cleats, brand new cleats or a big box of sanitary products, I can guarantee the sanitary products would go first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which, I mean, it's, uh, it's crazy. And still to this day, there was a lovely um, team in the States. Oh my goodness, I've momentarily forgotten them. Um, I'll remember in a second. An amazing team that has seen our story. A boys team and their parents got together, raised enough money to provide all our girls with sanitary products and they sent them all out to Kenya. And I gave them to the girls in May this year, just when I went out. And I can't even tell you how grateful they were. I mean, they were like, can we have more? Can we have more? They were so desperate. They don't care about all this materialistic, you know, stuff that we, our kids in the UK and Canada and America and around the world want. They they just want the basics. And to not even have the basics is so heartbreaking. You know, I mean, most of them have never, ever had a Christmas or birthday present apart from... When we did since it. We, yeah, since we did it. Now every year we give them Christmas and birthday presents and stuff. And Nottingham Uni in the UK is one of our top unis. Actually, it's number one last year. And in 20, Ash, when did we go out? 2018, 19, 19 Christmas. Christmas, yeah. Yeah, the Nottingham Uni girls had, each of them had organized a Christmas gift and card for their respective playing number. And so we flew all of the stuff out to Kenya. So all the, we made a little Christmas tree and all the girls got a present. It was the first time they'd ever have a Christmas present. And even the girls that are from like good backgrounds, should I say, never had a Christmas present. And here, like, we get 10, 15, 20 Christmas. I mean, it's disgusting how much money we waste on presents that we probably don't even need or use. So much of the story, obviously, as we're seeing, becomes about things other than the cross because there are so many things that have to go into it just to be able to make the lacrosse happen. Um, But I do want to talk about the games. As you mentioned earlier, Storm, (laughs) you get to this tournament and you're pretty happy with the results or the performance. You Mm. you won one game pretty convincingly. You had a very close game with Germany. I thought, given that I knew a bit of this background, not all of it, to Mm. me, the way they performed is almost miraculous, given what it took to get them to it. What you didn't see at the World Cup, we actually won three games. Three we won four MVP. Yeah, we beat Chinese Taipei. We beat Belgium convincingly. We beat Chinese Taipei by one. We beat uh, Jamaica 17-1. We lost to the eighth best country in the world by one goal, 6-7. We lost to Israel in our second game because we replayed them, 10-11. So we had two games we lost by one. We won three games and we lost two games, basically two other games. So... Yeah, as I said, the documentary didn't necessarily show that side of things. We also, out of the eight games, got four MVPs, which means we also got an MVP when we didn't win the game, which doesn't always doesn't happen that often. Um, uh, I mean, my two favorite things from the World Cup are the fact that one of our girls had been playing for nine months. And I say playing, she's not at, you know, there's no lacrosse coach in the Kenya, so she's hardly been playing. And she was 13th highest point scorer at the whole World Cup, having played nine months. And numbers one to 12 were all American-based. Every single kid, number one to 12, either played for the US or was at um, high school playing in the US. And who um, was that? I'd like to get her name out there. Her name is Sue. Okay. Sue, Sue, little Sue. She's only tiny as well. She's literally tiny. She's oh. a basketballer. <laughs> wow. Um, um, and then our, my other highlight, sorry, yes. was our, unfortunately our goalie got injured at the end of the second game. So we chucked in our reserve goalie who used to actually be a goalie a few years ago, but she... She was super fit and just wanted to run around and she just didn't want to be stuck in goal, basically. Didn't want to get hit the whole time, which is fair enough. Um, and at the end of the second game, she she had a rough game 
in defense. She's like, Storm, please don't go and attack. I was like, um, no, no, actually, we really need you to go and go <laughs> because Doreen's injured. Um, sorry, she literally, poor girl, went white. She was like, I was like, no, no, just go and go, just finish the game, it's fine. Five games later, well, the end of the fifth game, she was number one goalkeeper in the world, her stats. Wow. <laughs> Unreal, um, amazing. Mm. And how, I mean, it, having spent, you know, half an hour talking about all the challenges and how difficult it was just to get on the field, how do you mm. get performances like that from these people? Well, I guess when we went out, we didn't really know also how good they would be compared to everyone else. You, as I said in the documentary, we've only played, our girls who've been playing the longest had only played three, four games in their whole lives, right? So they, we didn't really have a, um, we didn't really have that much of a gauge as to how they're comp- going to perform against other national teams. But I, which I think in some respects is actually easier because you don't go in intimidated by anyone because you don't know anyone. I mean, we, we had a training session with Jen and Trish Adams before, obviously the most famous lacrosse sisters in the world. And Jen Adams, you know, has every, well, I don't think at this current moment, but did have all the records in the world. And one of the girls went up to her and asked if she'd ever played in a World Cup. <laughs> and I was like, ah! And to be fair, it was so funny because... You know, everyone was like, well, that's so sweet. I mean, we had no expectations. And likewise, at the opening ceremony, at the end of the opening ceremony, all the teams wanted pictures. Um, they wanted to dance with them. And I remember, I think it was Ireland were with them, then Canada. And I remember some of the Americans came up and were like, oh, Storm, can we have a pitch with, with um, your team? And, I, and bear in mind, America were about to win the World Cup, right? For the God knows how many time. I know you guys won it in 2015, but America were about to win it. And I was like, oh, yeah, sorry, can you, like, basically get to the back of the queue because there's so many people before you. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you could normally say that, but no, they were so... Everyone just adored them. And then when they finally got on the pitch and started performing, people were like, oh, my God, these girls, not only are they just so fun and they're dancing, singing, and they've come from pretty bad situations and they're out here, they... Um, yeah, they're just, they can play as well. Which Yeah, they're like natural born athletes. Like I, I remember watching the boys the first day of camp and I thought like some of them had never picked up a stick before. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like you're amazing. And, and by the fourth day, some of the people that, you know, on the first day, we, you wouldn't have even probably looked twice at. You're like, oh my goodness, like you could make this team. It, it's just, they're just so determined, right? And to have something to focus on other than their, you know, daily lives and the, the the situations they have to deal with that they really shouldn't. Um, I think lacrosse is just an outlet for them or any sport really for that matter. And so they put their whole heart into it. And, and when you do that, you get, you know, these great performances. So obviously everyone's very curious having seen, you know, the documentary and seen all everything's going on and, and hopefully hearing, you know, when people hear this, their curiosity will be further piqued about how things are going now for both the, the girls and women and for the, the boys and men over there because, you know, things are coming up. Limerick next year for the U21 men, Towson uh, for the senior women. How are things looking? Well, interesting. I've just spent all morning trying to sort out our camp, which starts next week. Basically, Kenya's been really... They haven't necessarily been hit by COVID per se in a lot of cases and deaths, but they've been really hit by lockdown and curfews. So... Our last proper camp was February 2020, and we're supposed to go back Easter, but obviously that didn't happen. Um, I've been back a couple of times really just to check in on the kids, but we had a camp in November last year, but all the other ones since then, we've been in total lockdown. 
and the kids aren't allowed to go from different counties to counties. So even if you're in lockdown in England or wherever else, you can still play the sport, but they can't play it. They don't have walls for wall ball. It's not like the houses, they can just have a gut. They don't have a garden. If you're living in Makuru slum, you are in a tin shack back to back to back to back with seven other million people. Mm-hmm. One million, sorry, oh. one million, one million. <laughs> um, so it's, re- it's really hard. And actually, as of today, we have, we have a camp for 50 because we have to reselect our under-21 team now because it's been so long since they played. Um, so we've had to reselect. We're going to reselect it next week, but the government has just brought in to play that certain counties are in lockdown. So I would say 35 out of our 50 live Western Kenya and they're not allowed to now come into Nairobi for this camp, which is what I've been working on this morning, which was not on my agenda. But so we're back to square one. It's like it never stopped. It never stopped because even if we're in lockdown at home in England or Canada, you can still do your own training. It, you can't do your own training there because you don't have access to, I mean, luckily we give them sticks and stuff, but how do you do wall ball if you're living on top of someone and you don't even have a wall for wall ball? It's crazy because January, 2020, we were in Kenya. We got home like to both of our countries and then hopped on a plane and went to LaxCon the next weekend. And at that point we were like, okay, we're doing this. Like the boys are so great. Like you have to get them to the world cup. And we were so Mm -hmm. gung ho in that whole weekend. We were just go, go, go trying to figure out like, how are we going to do this? Like they deserve this so much. Like we've got to get them there. And you know, spirits were so high after that weekend. We left, that's the last time I saw a storm. We left and we're like, okay, see you in April in Kenya. Like, let's do this. And then it's just like, I actually everything. got COVID. Do you remember? Yeah, the <laughs> storm got sick. Like, it just, everything went downhill. Yeah. And like, obviously Kenya, like Storm said, like, they're unable to train. So it's like basically restarting all over. And I don't think people understand like how much work that is for, for Storm to try to like, you know, get the support needed, especially after the, the past year where, you know, all of these big donors have been also yeah. affected, right? Like, it's it's going to be a challenge, but... I mean, it's not like there are high schools that play the sport, so they've got seven years' experience in the bank and they've just missed a year and they're sort of catching up. These kids have nothing. And, you know, no disrespect to the girls, because the girls to win three games out of eight is, is incredible. And, you know, more than some nations that have been playing for years and years. But our boys are a step above our girls. Like, comparatively, if our girls won three in Canada, our boys would have won six. Like, they, I can't even tell you how good they are. And you ask Ash, I'm a pretty harsh coach. I'm like super critical and competitive, but I can't even tell you how incredible these boys are. And also, in addition to that, if we think our girls are poor, these boys are on another level. So it's like, there's just so many reasons why I've got to try and get them to, I mean, I'm trying to get them to Ireland, but it's not that easy. As Ash said, when sponsors, you know, everyone's been hit by COVID. And when you're trying to raise 150,000 US dollars just to go to a World Cup, that doesn't include keeping them in school, school fees, malaria, you know, medication, hospital fees, when a mother's done this and a kidney's that. I mean, it's, it's literally relentless, but these kids have to go because it's more, it's way more than the lacrosse. Yeah. Um, I remember after that first training camp, like we kind of went into it, like hoping for the best, like thinking like, okay, we'll see how it is. And after that first night, we were sitting in our hotel room and Storm's like, they're they're so good. Like we have to do this. Like they have to get there. And then it's like, Oh God, like how do we make that happen now? Like the world needs to see these kids. Like they're just amazing. 
but yeah. We, we were, I mean, as far as the girls' fundraising went, we, I mean, massively struggled, and I still owe cash from 2019. Um, but when I went to Laxcon in January 2019, six months before the World Cup, we had about $1,000 in our bank account. And there's everyone like, oh, my God, we can't wait to see you in Canada. And there I am going, oh, my God, like, you don't know, we have not. And it's not like, you know, if when we were going to World Cup to Europeans, if you can't afford to pay, you can't play. Like every other nation, you or your family, your parents, someone just has to pay. And if fees go up, expenses go up because suddenly there's hidden costs somewhere like the kit or whatever, extra kit or something. Your parents just have to pay that extra $100 or whatever. These parents, if I ask for $10 from every kid to, to cover their whole World Cup experience, which costs thousands, I wouldn't have one kid going, right? So anyway, so there I was at the 2019 LaxCon going, you know, I remember I had a Lax Net Sports Network interview and they were like so excited. And I was sat there like honestly faking it the whole way through, like so excited, smiling, but like, <laughs> like no one has a clue here. It's just me myself. Anyway, I went to um, the Tawaritan dinner that night or they had a fundraising drinks or something because my friend runs the tourism foundation and she was like storm come to it and i was like no no i talked about i could we had world cross meetings for three days back to back and no offense i was like sarah i'm totally done i don't want to speak about lacrosse one more word just let me go to bed it's 10 o'clock let me go to my hotel and i'll see you tomorrow morning she's like no come 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 so i was like oh okay i'll shut her up i'll go for 10 minutes well i'll go for like half an hour anyway i got there 10 minutes later i was speaking to this amazing guy out there and he was like right i'll sponsor you basically he sponsored us 100 grand wow so i was like oh sugar we're going then are we <laughs> i was like okay so and now the serious work and it's funny that you should mention about you know when you get to the world cup you know after all the dramas and you have the games we sky and i my manager we got to the world cup and we're like oh my god okay so now we actually have to think about games gameplay you know, we obviously have moves and stuff like that, but we hadn't given it a second thought about actually when we step on the pitch, which is crazy. You know, every other coach for for weeks, months running up to it, they'll be watching the opposition. They'll be like coming up with more moves, more this, more that. We ha we did not have a second to breathe because even 24 hours before the um, 24 hours, 48 hours before our flight, our accommodation fell through and our visas only arrived with half an hour to spare. So uh, forgive me if I'm not going to work on my game plan playing Korea when actually we have no visas yet and, and our accommodation falls through. I mean, the whole thing, I can't even tell you. Even when we were in Canada, there was drama after drama, but people only saw us singing and dancing and that was that, so that was fine. But Ash knows a lot of it. Bless Ash. Ash basically got myself and Sky through the World Cup. She would, I mean, when it comes to liaisons, I'm not saying they're hit or miss because all liaisons are great. They all do their job and, you know, they take two weeks unpaid from their work, whatever, and they're slaves to their country for those two weeks and you get really demanding people or countries. And we must have been so demand. I mean, off the chart demanding because everything was new and every not new to me, but everything was just new to, you know, we just needed so many different things because of where we'd come from and situations and, Every day before the game, Ash would come with my Tim Hortons tea, <laughs> without doubt. Tim Hortons saved me. Tim Hortons, by the way, you can sponsor us if you want. But um, Tim Hortons literally saved, well, made me sane for about an hour every day at least, didn't it, Ash? I mean, Ash went over and beyond. And I think when games finish and, you know, you've done your ice baths and stuff, liaisons normally go home, Ash would stay with us all night. She would then sometimes go home, sometimes be like, me, you guys all right? I was like, Ash, just 
can you just come and collect me for an hour and take me to the other stadium because I had to go and do some stuff there. I mean, she was unbelievable. And I know that she sort of knows that, but I don't think she ever got enough credit for what she did. And even since then, as I say, like she's come out with us a couple of times and there isn't a week that goes past that we don't talk or discuss the kid or reminisce about something or when's our next trip or what are we doing for the boys? What are we going to do in Ireland? I'm like, okay, we just need to raise the cash and then we can decide what we're doing in Ireland. But I mean, she really was just like, you, yeah, I, I mean, I've been to that was my fifth World Cup and I couldn't even tell you the name of my other liaisons, but ah, I will remember forever. <laughs> like she was so great. But, um, and, and I think the whole of Peterborough were, I think as well. I mean, your big mall, what was your mall called, Ash? La La Land. Yeah, I mean, they were so generous. A lot of your restaurants were incredibly generous. As I said, the people around Stony Lake that were wonderful. We ended up staying in the house um, filmed, that filmed Cheaper by the Dozen too. So, you know, we actually lucked out when our accommodation fell through. We ended up in the most ridiculous house probably in Canada. But, um, you know, everyone was so, so generous. And the organizers and Ash, I was going to say, too, um, like the Lakers getting Reeds to go out and play with them and take the face off. Like that was probably one of the highlights of those few weeks for me. Just Regan, uh, Regan's a coach. He played for Uganda in Israel, but he um, had never played box and, and the Lakers had him out one night before their game. And it was just unreal to see. He was just in his glory. I mean, this guy is just such an amazing athlete and uh, for me to see that like that was so cool and I was so needed the Lakers to step up and do that for him yeah I mean that was ace but even all your locals when when there was a sort of request if anyone could donate sort of clothes or sanitary products or educational like pens pencils and stuff and you had like two or three skips our girls left Kenya with 15 kilos of luggage we went back every kid had 46 kilos god knows how much their hand luggage weighs but I was like girls you better fake it and pretend that that's like the six kilo allowance but even though it was like 18 <laughs> kilos extra in their hand luggage like they had everything and I'm not talking about you know fun toys you know presents themselves we we obviously had to send them home with presents for their family because in Kenya it's very much expected like if you go away what have you got for me so that was the girls were getting constant messages from all their families saying what are you bringing us what are you bringing us which it's not really very fair to put on these kids' shoulders, but um, they all went home with everything to their siblings, like millions of pencils, pens, rubbers, school books, you know, shower gels, this, 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 socks, basics, like underwear, which had all been donated from the Peterborough, like, crew. And there's still loads left in Canada. We couldn't get it. We couldn't, we didn't have enough luggage space to ship it back, uh, to take more back. And, you know, it cost $200 for an extra bag per person, which, that could pay for a kid to go to school for a year. So I'm not paying $200 just to take pens and pencils back. But I mean, I think that shows how much the Canadians looked after these kids that they had never met. Then they had never met and they really donated all of that. I mean, Ash can tell you more because I know she was part of that. But um, in my basement, yeah. like my basement now is still full of kit that we couldn't, like it was an hour before the planes were coming and we are shoving stuff in any single suitcase we could get in. Like the girls were like, it's a free for all, have at it, whatever you want, like just shove it. Any, any little pocket you have, take the clothes. And like, there was all this stuff left over at Fleming. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm, I'm taking it and going to Kenya, I guess. I'm see you guys in a couple of months. Like it was just nuts. And like, every time I go, like, oh yeah. God. I mean, but bless the girls, they, they don't understand that if an airline has a 23 kilo 
like yeah. maximum allowance for the bag. So they're like, oh no, Storm, we can just sneak it in. Doesn't matter. I was like, no, 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 kids, that's not how it works in, in the normal world. Like, it's like, it's like 5,000 shillings per kilo extra. They're like, 5,000 shillings would last them like three weeks, right? So they're like, what do you mean? I was like, no, no, this is like how it, how it works. Like, things like that, I think, you know, they'd obviously never been on a plane before, before but things, those things that we take for granted, that it's just so new to them. I know when we got to, um, to Canada, like they had never, actually, we nearly missed our second flight to Canada because we got, we stopped in Amsterdam, which is a lovely airport. It's like so immaculate and the kids just can't get over how clean Canada and Amsterdam is. But when they go to the, when they went to the bathroom, they couldn't believe that it was like electric, uh, flushing, electric stove, electric hand dryers, everything. So I was like, girls, we're boarding. Where are the other seven players? They're like, oh, there is a bathroom. I was like, so they went like 45 minutes ago. But they're just playing with all the stuff. I was like, God's sake, can we just not be late? We really worked our asses off to get here. It's like every Oh, sorry. It's like every day when we'd go for lunch, they would like run to fight to see who could get yeah. the automatic doors to open first. They thought it was the coolest thing or the toaster, like to put the toast in the toast, the bread in the toaster. They were like floored every time the toast would pop up. They're like, yeah, toast. And I'm like, oh my gosh. They hadn't, so yeah. They hadn't seen a, they hadn't seen a toaster. So when I, when they were getting their average eight pieces of bread a day, they eat so much Red. <laughs> I had to put a limit on it. I was like, girls, when we have a game straight away, when we're playing late, it's fine. If we've got a morning game, you are not having eight pieces of bread and then all the protein bars and then the omelets and then this they, and then all the cereal, which they find so delicious. Anyway, when I said to Vicky, our captain, I was like, Vicky, why don't you just go and have some lovely hot toast, melted butter, peanut butter, or whatever? She's like, what? I was like, okay, come to the toaster. Anyway, Vicky, when she saw the toaster, then obviously got the whole team up. And I think it was China or Belgium that were like really in need of using the toaster ASAP because they had a game before us. And obviously Kenya were just taking over the toasters. And I was like, oh my God, guys, I'm really sorry. I was like, they were like, down. they were like taking the bread back to the room because they like loved this bread so much. I remember like going in one of their rooms at night when they were getting ready for bed and they had this like pile of bread beside their bed. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, it was just wild. And like, they couldn't toast it in their rooms. Oh, no, they just wanted the bread. I mean, they needed the salads and all of that stuff. So they were like, oh, we love this. We're going to take it. And apples. But even even, um, even the cooks at the Fleming College. Were we at Fleming? But I can't remember now. Was yeah. that our one? Yeah. 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 Even the cooks at Fleming just were obsessed with Kenya. So they would almost like hide the chickens. So if Kenya yeah. could get extra chicken, they would stay open late for us because obviously we're on African time. I mean, our timing did improve like because the girls know that if they're 15 minutes early, that's still too late. So they know that they're going to get a shouting out. But I mean, they would always wait for us. They were so great. I'll tell you one really interesting I, I just remember they had the Caesar salad bar one day and the girls all walk up. Not one of them took the lettuce, but they all took a whole plate of the bacon bits. That's all they wanted was yeah. just the bacon bits. The chefs are like, no, you know, you got to like mix it with the lettuce. They're like, no, no. They just took the plate of the bacon. I was dying. It was so funny. I mean, you'll hear Sharon in the documentary was like, oh, they eat this funny thing called lettuce. And everyone laughed. I have a salad, sorry. And everyone laughed. was like, what's in salad? She's like, ugh raw vegetables but actually when we went back in October when we were like oh my god what do you miss about Canada a lot of them said the food was initially they only eat beige food so when we turned up at the cheaper by the dozen house and there was literally five star meals being um jet skied into us right and the girls were just being really picky I was like oh my god you kids have no idea what you're what 
food is being laid out for you, but by the end of it, they ate all of it. But um, brushing on what Ash said about going to their room, seeing all their food, initially they didn't know how much food they were going to get. So, of course, they, like, hoarded it because they're so used to going without food. So they at least they had a backup. But all the girls had loo paper with them. And I sort of, I knew about their situations at school, but it hadn't clicked to me that they would think that in... Um, in um, Canada, there wasn't going to be available loo paper because in Kenya, even in public loos at schools, you're not allowed into the school gates at the start of term if you don't have your own loo paper, right? So you can imagine these kids in the Amsterdam airport, my God, they're having a field day, but um, these kids, like, that just shows to you, like, you and I, I, when have we ever had to pay to use a public toilet or when would you ever not have loo paper? And it's just small things like that which are not small that just make you think, God, even though these girls at the World Cup they look, and I, I'm not saying they look normal or they don't look normal, but they're just happy, you know, they dread, that we kitted them out really well. So they didn't look as, I guess, poor as they were because they're all in like really smart kit and they're always smiling. But, you know, their, their everyday life is polar opposite to what you saw in Canada. Polar opposite. You brought up Sharon, and I, I can't wrap up without asking about her because the movie did really focus on Sharon and it became mm. as much about her search for her mother as it did anything yeah. else. And I'm, I'm almost hesitant to ask because, but I think everyone who saw it wants to know, I mean, did she find her mother? Did she, it was obviously a very trying thing. How is Sharon doing? Yeah. Uh, Sharon's doing great. She's actually in the university in Nairobi. She's doing really well. She'll be um, training with our seniors in two weeks time if it all goes ahead. She's doing really well. Um, but no, she hasn't found her mother. And I mean, I remember speaking to Sharon. She asked to speak to me about three camps before I, I selected the team and you know I try and know as much about the girls as possible and by default you learn about them anyway because either you spend so much time in the hospital with them do just chatting or you know they're so chatty anyway and I remember Sharon asked to speak to me because she just wanted to fill me in a bit on her situation um when we we're at camp and I mean I literally I mean I just cried and cried and cried and cried because her story is so horrendous and I know you see it on the film but when you hear it from her mouth and when you hear some of the other bits that obviously you couldn't get put in, put in the documentary, and she's such a quiet, shy girl, and I just, I literally, just because thank God it was dark, I just cried and cried and cried, and I was like, and Terrence's not the only one, she's not necessarily the worst one in that team either, like the worst background. We've got this other kid who is an orphan that has a real shocking time, and we've got loads of kids that have been, um, not loads, but a few kids that have been abandoned by parents because, let's say, they've got divorced and their new husband doesn't want any kids from past relationships so so many of our kids are living with just guardians or um you know uncles or grandmothers or whatever and so Sharon's story is awful and she is doing really well and thank god for the documentary and um what's happened to her since like there's no way she'd be out of that house that you saw if it wasn't for uh Kenya lacrosse and actually the producers of the film have been really helpful with the girls in the documentary so that's wonderful, but there's no jobs in Kenya. So even when university finished, I'm like, okay, well, now what? You know, I find that even three years after World Cup, I'm still getting messages every single day, Facebook, WhatsApp, phone calls, I need help for this, 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 this. Like, it's never going to change. So, like, I started this as a recreational sport. It goes to an international sport, but it, I didn't realize that I was, or myself, and probably Ash is always going to get calls forever more now from certain players, but for, for some kids we're their only lifeline and I can't see it changing even when they're like 30, 40, you know, when they've got issues, it will never stop because they have no other support. And I guess 
you know, if you're from a particular background, all your friends are similar. So if, if you can't afford $10, then your friends can't lend you $10, can they? So, you know, not, it, it's yeah, it's just, pretty tough. It's not just as simple as us uh, when they reach out looking for support. You can't just, you know, e-transfer them or or PayPal them $10 that they need that day, right? Like it's a, it's a process and it's not always sometimes giving them money isn't always the best way to solve these issues either. Because I remember yeah. like when you were talking about Sharon, we went to Sharon's house uh, in October, November of 2019 and, and sat down with her family and whatever. And it, it was great and fine. And then the next day when, when Sharon came to camp, she was saying after we had left, the family basically was like shaking her down, looking for the money that we she thought we gave her, they were like determined that we had given her money that day, even though we didn't. So it's like, even giving them money isn't going to fix their issues because half the time it's not going to go to what they need it to go to. So like Storm's right. Like she she gets, she's being very, I mean, she gets hundreds of of requests a week and it's trying to like, you want to help, but you can't help everyone. And I mean, Storm is one person. The fact that she's been able to do this for this long I, I don't know. I mean, I, I see a few kids that like need support and it breaks my heart. So for her to be doing this this long and, and to do the work that she's done is like quite amazing. She deserves it. But then you just feel they have no options, whether it's $50, 100 whatever. It's like, okay, it's just another 100 another. But every day of the week, it's like just another 50 100 this, school fees, whatever. And I mean, it is quite emotionally and financially draining because if you, if you pay you're in a mess financially yourself. And if you don't pay, you're thinking, oh my God, but that kid is at home in inverted commas and their homes are not like our homes. They are the most, you know, a lot of them are just wet, damp, no electricity, uncomfortable, sleeping on the floor, mud floors, just horrendous. And you're thinking, well, God's sake, just give them a hundred dollars. Like they just need it. But as I said, it doesn't, it masks a small problem. Like they have to become self-sustainable. So we're trying to come up with small business ideas and get like little investments, like $500 here and there, because, we can't fund them forever. We can't, we can't even fund them from day one, let alone like now. So, and it's not sustainable, but also they don't want to like live off handouts. Or as I said, when you ask a kid what they want, they all talk about education, education, education. When they finish school, all they want to do is work. They don't want to like sit, sit on their backside doing nothing, being given handouts every month. They genuinely are so hardworking and they're just desperate. They're like, school, just give me a job. I'm like, I would if I had one, but um, I don't. But you know, they're, all they want to do is work. They don't want to have, have handouts. But I don't know. There's a lot to it. I mean, and this is like, honestly, like 2% of everything that has been going on and has been going on. Yeah, and obviously we can't go on forever. Um, but I'm sure people will find this fascinating. I, I've It's been really great talking to you. And I know... You know, Storm, you're talking about Ashley, and, and Ashley tends to downplay what she does, but she is a pillar of our community. Um, just one of, like, the great people that you will find around here. I just feel very honored to know her, and uh, we do some things with, with Ashley, trying to help out her her things that are going on when we can um, in our in our right. circumstances. And But she's just, she reminds me of the, the way the girls are, and just the positivity and the, the energy right. is always there. And I've known Ashley for a bit, I see that, but, but getting to know you, I mean, this is, you know, we've just met um, virtually, Storm, and, and what you've contributed to this is just, is overwhelming um, to for, for me to see and for, I'm sure, everyone listening to this, Again, you're not playing up what you've done, but it becomes pretty obvious the the extent 
of your involvement, your contribution and commitment. And like you said, you've got your life <laughs> that you're trying to have. And I, I just think it's, you know, the, the, I've got a few companies to run when I actually get around <laughs> to it at 8 p.m. at night. Right. <laughs> I mean, Storm, is she has about, probably in her phone, if you looked, about 10 different business ideas, like, that she's got full business plans worked up for. And, like, if you know her, you know, want, these will come to fruition one day. Like, I mean, she just, if she has an idea, she just runs with it. Like, one day she's like, Yep, we're going to do this. And the next day she's doing it. So like, you can't like, oh gosh, she's just amazing. Like our world needs more people like that because I don't know how she literally does it with 24 hours in a day. Like the lady doesn't sleep. Well, I don't and sleep I think, you know that. <laughs> it's a bonus of being She does it. Like it'll be 5 a.m. Oh, she's just uh, amazing. And I think like I, the girls, the boys, like Kenya wouldn't be where it is today without her. And I mean, she does way more than just with lacrosse, like we've mentioned, but I mean, I've never met someone as dedicated to, to something as she is with this. So good well, on you. You're start with me now, Ash. I'm Kenya, so. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I, I don't know what I got myself into here. <laughs> I think the world needs many more people like both of you, and it's been a real honor to have you both on the show. And I want to wrap up by giving you a chance. I know people are going to be touched by this, and obviously – you can use some help in keeping things rolling. How can people reach out and help with Kenya Lacrosse, with these boys and girls and men and women, uh, if they want to? Um, well, there's a number of ways. Obviously, we always need funds because, like any organization, we need funds, and ours more than any others, really. But, um, you know, that that isn't always an option for, for most people. But if people did want to donate, then they can go to our website, kenyalacrosse.org, and there's a donate section. But to be honest, it's really about you know, spreading the word. And if anyone wants to come out on a volunteer's trip, then that'd be amazing. We have, look, we go out there so many times a year. So if, whether it's high school kids or university kids or parents or whoever, we take out up to 25 coaches at a time. And they're not all coaches. Some of, some of the lacrosse players bring their parents or their like boyfriend or brother and everyone brings something to the table. I don't need 25 coaches all trying to do the same job. Like, ask me. a 12-year-old. We had a 12-year-old oh, yeah. with us. He kept us in line the whole trip. Like, she was, like, I our mom. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've taken a 12-year-old out from my high school four times, you know. And, and my mom comes out every year from Australia. She's 74. Like, everyone brings something to the table. So if anyone wants to come on a trip, beware, because you will be coming back multiple times just by the nature of what happens there. It's like some like the Bermuda Triangle. You just get lost in Kenya lacrosse. But, um, I, yeah, I guess just spread the story, because... You never know who it might hit. And if I hadn't spread the story to that guy at Lacton, we wouldn't have ever gone to Canada. And I didn't mean to, like, run across him. But there's always people that come to the table. So, you know, obviously, financially, it would be ideal. The obvious would be donating kit and equipment, but it's not that obvious because then we can't ship it there because of the funding. But also, even if we had the shipping allowance, it would get stuck at customs and we would get bribed for it. Because actually... Sometimes I go through um, the airport now and they're like, oh, Kenya Lacrosse. Because they spot like one of the only white people, you know, that I, I'm always in that airport. So they see me quite a lot trying to get in all this equipment and have arguments with customs. But I mean, yeah, just go to our website. And if anyone wants to ask any questions or reach out how they can help, whether it's time, whether it's financial, whether it's kit, whether it's product, whether it's just ideas, then our email is on there. But, you know, anything and everything is a, is a bonus. Actually, every 
dollar, and I'm not even lying when I say that, every dollar, every pair of socks, every sports bra, every pair of trainers donated, everything's a bonus. So whatever, I mean, I'm not really going to stipulate this, this, this. It's just literally anything and everything. Well, again, thank you both so much for coming on. And I I normally don't have interviews this long, but I I don't know what we could have cut out, how we could have trimmed it down. And, you know, you're talking about spreading the story and how important that is. And Mm. and it's it's honestly been an honor to just play a small role in helping you to do that. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. And thanks to everyone in Canada that supported us because there's so much support, like in so many different ways. So I'm really grateful to you all. And obviously Ash and her community in Peterborough, but we wouldn't have got where we are today if it wasn't for you guys. So I really appreciate it's lucky the World Cup was in Canada and not anywhere else. <laughs> and lucky the year before this last one, or that would have been crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Storm Trentum and Ashley Aitken and the show is Sleeping Warrior. You should go check it out. You can find it on, uh, I don't think we even actually said that, on the uh, World Lacrosse site. I believe they've shared it. It's on their YouTube. Where else do you yeah. see the show? Um, at the moment, it's just on their Facebook and their YouTube. They uh, okay. own the rights to it. So it will come out in different um, formats at a later date. But you can see it on YouTube. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. That will just about wrap things up for this episode of Boxel Beat. I'm Stephen Stamp, your host. Thank you to Storm and Ashley for being on the show. Thank you so much, Lacrosse Friends, for being here with me. Remember, check out all the episodes on lacrosselink.com. You can get Boxel Beat wherever you get your podcasts. You can check the video show on Lacrosse Link. And there is lots more coming every week at Lacrosse Link. I'm Stephen Stamp. Thanks for being with me. See you next week. Yeah.